Thanks for listening to the Rivers Podcast. We hope that as you listen, God speaks. For more information about the river, visit us online at theriver.info. If you're tracking with us, if you're tuning back in, if you're uh, coming along, we're making our way through the Gospel of John. If you remember last week, we were in John 20, uh, where uh, Mary is visited by Jesus at the empty tomb. Uh, and just to recap, God, God uses the marginalized, that God is on the side of the oppressed, uh, that uh, the overlooked uh, in society often get a special mi- mission and purpose within the kingdom. Uh, that no one is too discredited, uh, that we all get gifts, we all get to play, but God has a special grace for those who are overlooked. And that's really great news for the marginalized even today, uh, that the Lord isn't only for uh, the powerful, but the Lord is for the powerless. Uh, And so where we picked up in John chapter 20 and 18 at the end of last week, what we found was uh, Mary went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had, or, and she told them that she had said these, that he had said these things to her. Excuse me. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And so we pick up our text today, John chapter 20 and verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, which is Sunday, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And what I find so interesting about this is Mary meets with the Lord in the tomb Sunday morning and says, Jesus tells her, now go tell those boys what it was you saw. And then John picks up the text with, well, it was evening. And so what we know is some things happened between morning and evening. Namely, Mary had gone and told the disciples what it was that she saw. She, she fulfilled the calling that Jesus had put on her life. And you know what we can tell from the text? They didn't believe her. And it didn't matter. She did what she was called to do. She wasn't called to convince them. She wasn't called to make them understand. She was only called to report back what it was that she saw. She received a special gift. She received a special calling. And it didn't immediately change the course of the matter. But that doesn't mean that the Lord didn't use it or that it didn't matter. It did. And maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you need to hear that just because what the Lord has laid on your heart isn't immediately working around you doesn't mean that it's not working. And it doesn't mean that that's not what the Lord has called you to do. It may be that the time just hasn't passed yet. It may be that you're still reporting in the morning and that it is not evening yet. What we know is that if you have a pulse, you have issues. But more importantly, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And that's what we see here. We see Mary living into this purpose. And I want to just remind you, maybe it won't be some great grandiose thing. Maybe it won't. Shatter the foundations of the earth. Maybe it's, maybe it's incremental. Maybe it doesn't even seem like when you're living into your purpose, it's making this huge difference. But what we can see here is that it absolutely does. Obedience is the important matter in the calling. Being faithful to the calling that the Lord has placed on your life is the important matter. 
It's not a matter of the results. It's the matter of the action. That's what we're responsible for in the calling that Jesus has placed on our life. Nothing counts but action. <laughs> so we take the action and we, we leave the results up to Jesus. And so this is another detail that I believe makes for the historical accuracy. Right? Because the disciples wouldn't have believed her. The disciples always represent culture. And as we talked about last week, the culture of the time, they didn't trust women. Women were less than men in, in society. They couldn't even testify in court. So the disciples wouldn't trust her. I think that this is a detail that makes for historical accuracy. I do want to pause for a minute and talk about that statement because I, I realize I've been making that over the last few weeks. Uh, the statements about historical accuracy or the authenticity of the text that we've been working out of. Uh, and I just want you to know that there's a word for that, st that study or that, that thinking of, of proving, factually proving elements of the faith. And it's, it's called apologetics, uh, Christian apologetics. It's not apologizing. It's, it's apologetics. And I think that there's a good and a bad in apologetics. Uh, one ditch in apologetics is if we can show all these facts of how all this is true, then clearly nobody would be able to dispute it and then everybody would believe that we can find a way to answer all of these questions. And I, I think that God gave us the power of reasoning for a reason. We should be able to think. We should be able to use logic. That's a God-given gift. But you can't have a faith without some questions. If we had all the answers, we wouldn't have a need for faith. So the other side of the coin is, if we didn't have some answers, we could blow away with any wind of doctrine. So one side of the coin is, we got to have some, some answers, but the other side is we, we got to have some questions. And, and so finding a balance uh, in between those. And I just want to acknowledge against this side of the ditch that you can factually prove all these things and thereby people will believe in Jesus, that belief in Jesus is a gift from Jesus. The, the grace, the ability to grasp grace is in itself grace. That's a Brendan Manning quote, that the ability to believe comes from God. <laughs> like, Scripture's really clear about that. Then, and my own story even confirms that. I don't know how many people uh, just came to believe, right? And so, like, when I came to believe, there was a number of things, details about the Christian faith that I was like, hmm, that's kind of weird. But something deep within my heart just said, I'm okay holding all of this stuff in tension. I believe that Jesus loves me. I believe that I was created out of love. I believe that, that, that Jesus died for me to make a way that I could have communion with God, to make a way for me to, to stand before God, to approach God. I believe that he was resurrected in all the craziness that that is. And I, I don't know why I believe I just believe, even though there's all these wild, crazy facts about it that I can't really grasp my mind around my heart, said, yes, absolutely. And so there's something about the Christian faith that, that just sounds pretty wild, right? I mean, there's, there's details about our faith that are, they're pretty strange. And I just want to acknowledge that the ability to be able to believe those 
is probably not grounded in historical accuracy and in facts, but probably in grace. And at the same time, we want to have facts and historical accuracy to fill in some of the gaps, to prop up some of those things. So it's a both and. And so the piece that I keep coming back to in this section of the text is the resurrection. I alluded to it a few weeks ago. It's a really big sticking point for, for belief in true Christian doctrine. There are a lot of schools of thought. Uh, i got to pause. Are we doing okay? I'm, seeing, I'm sorry for everybody online. I'm seeing a lot of scrambling behind the scenes. and I'm deeply distracted, so we're good. Okay. <laughs> sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> Uh, I alluded to it a few weeks ago. It's a really big sticking point for belief in true Christian doctrine is the resurrection. The actual death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Uh, a lot of people have no problem with Jesus as a good teacher. Right? Like, I mean, his teaching was sound. It was so good. There was so much stuff in there that just, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, this has got it going on. Or Jesus is a prophet. I mean, the things that he foresaw happening, it's, there's, it's un, undeniable that, that Jesus was a prophet. And there are other religions who see Jesus as a prophet, who see Jesus as a teacher. Uh, as fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, eh, now we start getting a little bit more dicey. Uh, but this is, the, this is the thrust of Matthew's gospel. His purpose is to portray Jesus as Messiah, when you read Matthew's gospel, there are more Old Testament and prophecy references than any other. They're kind of like hyperlinks, you know, uh, statements that will, that will link back to the Old Testament because Matthew's uh, goal was to show, no, 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 Jesus actually is Messiah. He is the one. And so at some point, uh, we're, we're squarely confronted with the resurrection, okay, and what I want to talk about for a second are four worldviews, four theories that try to explain what we believe is the resurrection and deny the power of Jesus and deny the power of the Holy Spirit to raise him from the dead. And, and the first one is the wrong tomb. And so the theory goes like this. In all the grief, in all the confusion, in all the mourning and the wailing, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put Jesus in a tomb that they didn't tell the disciples about. And so the empty tomb that they went to was actually just an empty tomb. And Jesus was buried in some other spot. And I just want to say that if that were the case, as this whole thing starts to build up steam... <laughs> All that would have happened was somebody would have just said, no, 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 no. See, the, the thing is, he never really raised from the dead. He's in this tomb. And then they would have just opened the tomb where his body laid. That, seemed, that, that one sounds just absolutely foolish to me. The other one is that the religious leaders moved his body, right? So he didn't appear to anyone. Like over 500 witnesses have said, yes, we, we physically saw him. The, the disciples saw him and touched him. Mary saw him and touched him. But the religious leaders moved it, and everybody else made it up. Which, again, that doesn't even hold any kind of weight with me, because 
why then would the religious leaders go to the extremes that they did? If they had already squashed this thing and had his body, why would they go to the, to the extremes that they do that we'll read about in Acts and we'll read about in the epistles of what the persecution that they're enforcing uh, on this growing movement? The third one is that the disciples moved the body. The disciples came into the tomb, saw him there, saw him dead, pulled his body out, and then made up this story that he had raised from the dead. To which I would say, it's possible, right? Like there's a certain plausibility uh, to that. Uh, our text from today in verse 19 about him being in the house with the doors locked for fear of the religious leaders, to me gives an indication against that idea. Because if they had his body... Why would they not turn it over, right? Moreover, when John, who, who wrote our text today, when he's boiled in oil and exiled to Patmos, why wouldn't he have acknowledged it? That when Peter was crucified upside down in Rome, when all of these people were martyred, why wouldn't they have, in, in an effort to, to save their own lives, why wouldn't they have just acknowledged it then? The, the chance that all these people were willing to go to death around a lie, to me, is absolutely crazy as well. Uh, and the fourth and probably the most common uh, theory is the swoon theory. Uh, and it, it's, it gained a lot of traction when they started to exhume uh, Civil War tombs. And it's this idea that Jesus didn't really die. He was weak, uh, and he was near death. Uh, and when they put him in the tomb... He got some rest, and then he rolled the stone back, and he, he kind of walked out of there and then appeared to everybody. He didn't actually die. Uh, when they had exhumed these Civil War tombs, they found a number of people that they thought were dead. They buried them, and then they could see that there was like scratch marks on the inside of the tombs and that these people weren't actually dead. They were, in fact, alive. And so they started to kind of put two and two together, and they said, well, this is, this is probably what happened there. I just want to say that, like, this to me is, is absolutely laughable that a man who would appear dead, who had been had the skin beaten off of him, nailed to a cross, and pierced through the, through the ribs and into the heart, would somehow be able to rest for three days with no food or water, and then appear to people, not as a sick and injured and dying man, but as a resurrected Savior. <laughs> like The person who, if that was possible, who, who, who swooned, who regained some strength, would definitely look like a person who was in need of intense medical attention, nearing death, not a conquering Savior who had overcome death. There would be no confusion in those two. right? Like, and so, to me, it's just crazy... Uh, the ways that we will reject, the ways that that culture will reject the power of the resurrection. And again, I don't think that any one of these theories will cause somebody to believe. But for us as believers, I think that understanding these things helps us backfill some of the spaces that are in there. So verse 19, on evening of the first day of the of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So here they are. They express genuine doubt and fear 
and skepticism. Mary's come to them and she, she's told them what she saw. And I think that that's the, the best thing that we can do in evangelism. If you're tracking with the, the discipline of the month, we're, we're talking about evangelism this month. The way of bringing the good news. More specifically, the way of bringing the good news of our lives. What God has done in our life. Uh, not so much, you need Jesus, you're a sinner, you need to repent, but this is what God has done for me. This is how my life has benefited. And so what Mary does is she brings the good news. I, I saw the resurrected Lord. I saw him. I touched him. I held him. And now I come to you and notice Mary's testimony didn't convince him, but it was mentioned. And so friends, I just want to remind you, maybe in your witnessing, maybe in your sharing your story with other people, Maybe it, it doesn't convince them. Maybe it's not the notch in the gun belt that makes them then believe. But it may be an increment. It may be a step in the process that, that will, as we'll see, that the Lord uses as a part of a process of bringing people to himself. But the disciples are gathered together because they're scared and they're confused and they don't know what's going on. Verse 19b, Jesus came to them and stood among them and said, peace be with you. It's a standard Hebrew greeting. It's used in Judges, in Samuel, in John 1.15. It's, it's actually still used in the Middle East today. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. But you ever notice that sometimes it's, it's not what's said, but it's how and when it's said that carries a totally different weight? Our, our daughter, Cadence, uh, I love her to pieces, and she loves to just empty everything into her room <laughs> and leave it all over the floor. And we always, I always laugh with her uh, about like she lives in the city of squalor. And so uh, we have a holler, city of squalor, and that's our kind of back and forth when her room is a mess. Uh, and so, you know, I can say to her, hey, what's up? And that, that, that carries something. That's a greeting. It's just a general kind of a greeting. We use that in our house all the time. But I'm telling you, when I stand in her room, in, in the middle of the city of squalor, and I say to her, hey, what's up? It carries a very different weight. Although the words are the exact same as when I walk in the, the kitchen and she's sitting down there as the words in her room within the mess, there's a very different weight in a very different meaning to what's being said. And Jesus shows up in the pain, in the confusion, in the fear, and he doesn't face shame them. He doesn't say, why are you guys hiding? Why are you afraid? I already told you this was going to happen. We've been running around for three years together. You didn't know better than this. Why are you so terrified? He doesn't scripture whip them. He's not like, hey, it's written. I said that I was good. He doesn't do any of that stuff. Instead, he comes and he brings a healing, calming, Settling gift of peace. And this is a word for us today. The same Jesus extends the same greeting and gift to each of us today. Peace. In fact, peace is the gift of the kingdom. It's what Jesus said he was bringing. In John 14, 27... Peace I, I, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 16, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 
And I'm here to tell you, friends, our world needs peace. We need the peace of Jesus in our communities, in our nation, in our homes, in our hearts, in our lives today. We need, we need some peace right now. But the problem with it is you can't transmit what you haven't got and you will what you do. And so where the world needs peace, it seems to just be gaining in anxiety and worry and fear and vitriol and division. And so I wonder, I wonder if, if we're actually adding to that. I wonder if the absence of, of the peace of Jesus in our own lives is actually increasing the temperature of the anxiety and the fear in the lives of other people. I wonder if we're at, at least us in the church, the body of Christ is at least partly responsible for how we find the world right now. I wonder if culture isn't actually a commentary on the state of the church. Maybe, maybe you need to unplug, spend some time in the peace of Jesus. Maybe, maybe the people in your sphere of influence need you to unplug and spend some time in the peace of Jesus. In the same way that, that we can bring anxiety into our relationships, we can also bring peace into our relationships. But we pour from the well that we have. So, so maybe, maybe you and your world around you need the peace of Jesus today. And maybe the Lord is calling you to unplug from some of that distraction, spend some time in his peace, to settle your own heart from the fear and the frustration and the confusion and the worry so that he could then use you in your family and in your job and in your community to then bring peace to the fear and the confusion and the frustration and the anxiety. At the risk of sounding callous, I just want to say, our current problems are not new. And as much of a sense of urgency as there are in these matters, these kinds of battles require poise and discernment and direction from the Holy Spirit. When to speak at the stone and when to strike it makes all the difference on entrance into the promised land. And so... As urgent as, as the matters are, they're not. <laughs> and we have time to rest in the peace of Jesus. The, the Lord will fight our battles. Right? The, the Lord will go before us. We don't need to worry about racing out there to, to solve all this stuff. If, if we'll rest in the peace of Jesus, he'll work in all, in all these things. This is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. This is that whole first is last, the least is the greatest, slow down to speed up, peace and love to overcome hatred and injustice. It doesn't make sense, but that's how it works. That's the economics within the kingdom. So maybe you've gotten distracted. 
Maybe you've gotten distracted by the worries and cares of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. What you'll wear, what you'll eat, where you'll live, what you'll drive, how you'll retire. Here to tell you, it's very easy to get caught up in in much of a muchness. It's very easy to get caught up in that stuff. And what we notice when we get caught up is that, that we lack peace. We lack the serenity. We lack that gift, that basic gift that Jesus was giving in the midst of all that. And so, friends, let's check our hearts today. And no shame. It doesn't matter how we got where we got. That's not the, pro- that's not the process for getting out of where we're at. The first step in overcoming any problem is, is admitting that it's a problem. Lord, I'm lacking the peace. You bring peace. Peace be with you. I'm not experiencing it, Jesus. Yo, that's the first step. And it's an honest admission, and the Lord wants to meet us in that spot. The peace of Jesus settles and centers us in all of these things. And as we're going to find out in the weeks that come, it's really the starting place of all work and activity. Truly effective people are often the most deeply peaceful people that we know. Truly effective people understand the value and the benefit of of working from rest and not resting from work. And I know that sounds semantic, but it really isn't. It's a very different place to work from peace as opposed to try to get peace from all of the work and the confusion and the chaos. Not going to take the few weeks that comes thunder. After he had said this, after he had said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his, and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Finally, they believed, right? So not in the tomb, not in Mary's testimony, not in him standing right in front of them and offering them the gift of peace, the very thing that they needed in the confusion and chaos and fear, but it was when they actually could see the tangible questions that they had about whether it was really him. And friends, that's the beauty about the Christian faith. We never ask you to put faith in faith. We ask you to put faith in the Lord and take a step of obedience and he will meet you there and settle the questions that you have. The same way, take a step of obedience, (laughs) fall into that, and the Lord will meet you in that place. So, that's all we have for this week. If you're a follower of Christ, the river's your home, (laughs) church home. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for continuing to be faithful with all that God has entrusted you with. Uh, You're wonderful stewards. We'll see you back next week.